Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. Good morning and welcome to worship. I want to thank you for joining with us this morning as we turn to God's Word for encouragement and for strength uh, as we continue on in these days of restrictions and confinement because of the pandemic. The last report that I've received, uh, the coronavirus is still on the rise in Merced County, and because of that, we're still in quarantine uh, in our homes and restricted in our activities outside. We still need to be cautious, we still need to be careful, but we also need to be compassionate toward other individuals who are suffering through uh, this time of uh, discouragement, a time of depression for some, a time when some individuals' resources are running low. Uh, We need to, as brothers and sisters, um, rally around those who are hurting and those who are in need to assist them in any way that we can. We also need to pray for our leaders. We need to pray for our government officials who are... uh, it seems like, at war with each other, uh, trying to decide when would be the best time and what would be the procedures to um, lift the restrictions and to get people back to work and how to deal with the economy. They certainly need our prayer support and they need our words of encouragement if we're able uh, to give them that. I am encouraged Uh, in my spirit that uh, this pandemic will soon pass and that uh, the restrictions will end and we will be able to return to some normalcy in our lives. But until that time, we need to continue to encourage each other and support each other, pray for each other, and uh, help one another out as we're all in this matter together. I want you to turn in your Bibles with me, if you will, please, to the book of 2 Corinthians, the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And I want us to look at the first 11 verses of 1 Corinthians, excuse me, of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul writes, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are throughout Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so also you are sharers of our comfort. 
For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves in order that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death, and we and will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope, and he will yet deliver us. You also joining in helping us through our prayers, that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf, for the favor bestowed upon us through the prayers of many. This is the word of God, and we ask his blessing upon the reading of his word. Corinth was a very important city in ancient Greece and ancient Rome. Like New York City is today, and San Francisco, and Chicago, and New Orleans. It was a wealthy city that gained much of its wealth from its commercial enterprises, mainly through import-export businesses. It was a cosmopolitan city, free from local and provincial or national ideas and prejudices and attachments. It was a Roman city, but it belonged to the world. The population of Corinth in the time of the Apostle Paul was probably that of Modesto or Stockton just up the road a few miles from us here. It was a very busy city made up of many nationalities. People from all over the world came uh, to Corinth for all kinds of reasons. There were always large numbers of sailors because Corinth was not far from the seaport on both sides of the isthmus where Corinth was located. There were all kinds of merchants plying their wares from all over the Roman Empire and beyond. It was a worldly city. It was devoted to pleasure-seeking. It was a center for Greek and Roman culture that brought together people and customs and ideologies from all over the world. It was a very religious city, worshiping the gods of ancient Greece and the gods of Rome, also worshiping the oriental mystic religions. But then they were also people who worshiped power and wealth and prestige. New Testament scholar Leon Morris described the city of Corinth as intellectually alert, materially prosperous, and morally corrupt. It was everything Rome was, and even more. The Holy Spirit led the Apostle Paul to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and to start a church in this city. 
And so the Apostle Paul visited Corinth on his second missionary journey. You can find that information in Acts chapter 18. He came to the city around AD 49 or 50. And as Paul always did in any town or city that he visited, he began immediately to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with whomever he could. As was his custom, he would begin at the local Jewish synagogue and begin to evangelize his brethren with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was there that he met and befriended a couple, a Christian couple by the name of Aquila and Priscilla. They were Christian Jews from Italy, and they were persecuted in Italy because they were Jews, not because they were Christians. And so they left Italy, and they came to Corinth. Later on, Silas and Timothy joined the Apostle Paul in Corinth, and the ministry became even more powerful and effective through their work with Paul, with Aquila and Priscilla. Paul spent 18 months in the city evangelizing and discipling people. He saw very few Jewish converts to the faith in Jesus Christ, But there was one notable family that was brought to faith in Christ, and that was Crispus, who was the leader of the local synagogue. He and his family came to faith in Jesus Christ and were discipled by the Apostle Paul. But even though there were few Jews who came to faith in Jesus Christ, there were many Gentiles who believed on the Lord and were saved. In the course of Paul's ministry there, persecution began to arise from the Jewish people. Uh, They became upset at Paul's uh, ministry and um, his pressing the gospel of Jesus Christ upon the Jewish people. And so they appealed to uh, Gallio, uh, the local uh, city magistrate the leader there in uh, the city of Corinth. But Gallio would have nothing to do with the complaint of the Jewish leaders because it wasn't a political matter uh, that was brought to him. It was a religious matter, and he said they needed to decide their own religious matters according to their own Jewish laws. And so Gallio simply dismissed the case that was brought to him. After that, Paul left Ephesus with Aquila and Priscilla around A.D. 52, and they traveled to Ephesus. Uh, Paul left Aquila and Priscilla in Ephesus and uh, took his leave and went on then to Palestine uh, to the area of Antioch. After Paul had left the Christians in Corinth, a man by the name of Apollos assumed church leadership. Apollos was a brilliant Christian Jew from Alexandria, Egypt. He had been discipled by Aquila and Priscilla in Ephesus. And so he came to Corinth and assumed uh, pastoral leadership over the church. He was a very powerful speaker, a very powerful preacher. Lacoste Munn, retired 
professor at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth. He writes these words, quote, A church will inevitably reflect to some extent the society in which it exists. This reflection need not necessarily be in direct proportion. Indeed, it dare not be. The redemptive fellowship known as a New Testament church possesses a dimension unknown to the world. That would be a spiritual dimension unknown to the world. Consequently, the church must not be conformed to its environment. But those redeemed ones who comprise a church are taken from the world whose influence is so often evil. And this influence continues to be felt after conversion. End quote. This truth became very apparent in the Corinthian church. As I stated, many of the converts in Corinth were Gentile converts. And because they were not Jewish converts, they were not aware of the strict codes of morality that the Jewish people followed in their own lives. When they converted to Christ and became part of the church in Corinth, they brought with them a lot of their worldly passions and practices. And they did so despite the intense discipleship efforts that the Apostle Paul and Aquila and Priscilla and Silas and Timothy brought to bear with them. After leaving Corinth for Ephesus, Paul heard about some of the things that were going on in the Corinthian church, particularly uh, a gross sin that disturbed him greatly. It was the sin of incest that was uh, not only being carried on in the church, but condoned by many of the church people. And you read about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Paul wrote a letter to address that sin. And he mentions that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9, but we do not have that letter uh, to this day. So uh, we do not understand or we do not know what the Apostle Paul said. While he was also in Ephesus, Paul received further reports of trouble in the Corinthian church. And you read about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11. The Corinthians wrote to Paul, and they asked in a letter that Paul would clarify some of the issues that he had spoken about in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Paul wrote back his response, and his response became what we know to be the letter of 1 Corinthians. Paul then sent Timothy to Corinth, and you read about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, and chapter 16, verses 10 and 11. Word came back to Paul that false apostles were trying to take over the church by discrediting Paul and by spreading their false doctrines. Paul, upon receiving this word, immediately left 
Ephesus to go to Corinth. This was called uh, the painful visit in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. After Paul had arrived in Corinth and had tried to minister there, his ministry became unsuccessful. He was not convincing in his defense and was soundly criticized by even one of the leaders in the church there. So he left Corinth and returned to Ephesus. In Ephesus, Paul wrote a severe letter to the Corinthian church, and that's spoken of in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 4. He sent this letter with his friend Titus back to Corinth. After a while, Paul left Ephesus for the city of Troas. He was hoping to find um, Titus there and hoping that there would be some word of how his letter had been received by the Corinthian Christians. But he didn't find Titus in Troas. And so Paul left then for Macedonia. And it was there in Macedonia that Paul caught up with Titus. And Titus was able to tell Paul that his letter had a profound effect upon the people. They had repented of their sin and of their criticism toward him. From Philippi, Paul wrote what we know to be the second letter of Paul to the Corinthians, and it was written around A.D. 55. In that letter, the Apostle Paul expressed his joy at the people's repentance. He wanted to further defend his apostleship to them and to encourage the Corinthians to take up an offering for the poor, starving saints in Jerusalem And he also wanted to further confront the false apostles of their false doctrines. Paul then returned to Corinth as he said he would. He received their participation in the offering that was collected for the relief of the saints in Jerusalem. And so his third visit to Corinth would be deemed a success. Now, I've given you this brief history to say something most of you already know, and that is church life and church ministry is not always a piece of German chocolate cake and a glass of Dr. Pepper. Church life and church ministry can be difficult. It can be taxing even heartbreaking for the church as well as for the ministers in the church. Not everyone will believe the gospel that we preach and teach, and that can be disheartening. Not every Christian will press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus like we wished that they would. Not every church will be the spotless and pure bride of Christ that it ought to be. In the last 2,000 years, there are a lot of things about the Christian church that have not changed. Things are still quite the same in the modern Christian church as they were 
in the days of the Apostle Paul and his ministry at Corinth. But as Christians, our attitude should be one of praise to the Lord for the opportunity that he gives us to minister in his name. Rejoice in the Lord, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippian church, chapter 4 and verse 4. And again I say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men, for the Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Lofty words from the Apostle Paul to the Philippian church. Important words and encouraging words to the Christian church there. But I'm human enough to know how difficult rejoicing in the Lord always can be. I've been around the block several times and I've felt the sting of the conflict and the criticism and the confrontation that many pastors and many church members have experienced at the hands of the Christian church. And so to this troubled church, the apostle wrote these words that we find here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, specifically in verses 3 and verse 4. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now you may very well say, Well, pastor, our church is not in trouble, at least that you may know of. We don't believe that the problems in the Corinthian church exist here in our church. So what do these words have to do with me personally? Well, the principles I want to point out to you to the church, the the ones that Paul wrote about to the church and especially to the troubled church, are principles that we as Christians need to apply into our own lives if we're facing or if we're going to be facing troubled times and trials. And many of us are facing troubled times at this very moment. And so I want you to look at the text with me, and I want you to realize what the Apostle Paul is telling to the Christian church in Corinth, he's also telling to you and to me. First of all, Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Note the word blessed. There are two Greek words in the New Testament that are translated blessed in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 11, we have the Beatitudes, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus here is speaking to attitudes that Christians are supposed to have in their walk with the Lord, in their life in the kingdom of Christ. 
These beatitudes begin with blessed. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are peacemakers. Blessed are those, so on and so forth. The word blessed in Matthew chapter 5 is makarias. Makarias. It means to be happy. It means to experience good fortune. It's what many of us will be when this coronavirus has passed and the restrictions have been lifted and we're able to return back to our normal way of life. Many of us will be happy. We will be makarias. But here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul does not use the word makarias, even though it's, the word he uses is translated blessed. He uses the word eulogetos, excuse me, eulogetos, eulogetos. It's uh, the word from which we get our English word eulogy. It means to speak well of. After all of the heartache that the Apostle Paul had gone through in his ministry, rejection, prison, death threats, and death attempts, run out of town, criticism, even from church people, it was always his desire to speak well of the Lord. He never complained. He always spoke well of the Lord. And you may very well say, well, why not? His problem was with the church and not with the Lord. Well, I wish that sentiment was true with all people. Many people, including ministers, leave the church or they leave ministry blaming God for the problems and for the heartaches that they were exposed to and that they experienced in the time that they worked in the church. But Paul spoke well of the Lord, even in light of the Corinthian church and its problems. He spoke well of the Lord because Paul realized that the Lord was always with him in the midst of the troubles that he faced. That the Lord gave him counsel to deal with the trouble, gave him wisdom to be able to address the issues that needed to be addressed. The Lord strengthened him and gave him courage and boldness to face the issues and to face the individuals who were behind the issues so that those problems could be resolved. He realized the Lord himself resolved those issues through the leadership of the church and with the fellowship and the leaders together healed the church from the problems that they had faced. Paul understood, as we need to continue to understand, that the church does not belong to us. It belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet it was Paul's desire to help the church be the beautiful bride of Christ that God called it to be. And it is our desire, and should be our desire, 
to be of help to each other in the church so that they may grow into Christ-likeness as we continue to face our trials and tribulations. Now, I find in this text two tremendous truths as to why we should rejoice in the Lord and bless His name even in the midst of personal adversity. First of all, we should bless the Lord who is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because God will comfort us. Notice what he says in verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions. We should bless the Lord. We should speak well of the Lord. And we should strive together to honor the Lord and to praise the Lord because in the midst of our adversities, whether they're personal or uh, church-wide, God will comfort us. Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, the apostle Paul wrote, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. How did Paul learn such lessons? Because he goes on to say, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul realized that the Lord was with him and the Lord taught him through the trials that he faced. Just like the Lord taught the prophets of the Old Testament, many of them who were out in wilderness areas. Just like the Lord taught Moses who was out on the backside of the Sinai to be the great leader that he should be in leading the children of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. Just like he taught the apostle Paul after he was converted when he was three years out in the desert. Paul learned from his afflictions, in the midst of his afflictions, because the Lord was with him and the Lord taught him important truths on how to deal with those conflicts, how to deal with those trials and those tribulations. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 Through 11, the Apostle Paul wrote, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death. I ask you, why would a Christian, why would a servant of the Lord put up with such abuse? Why would a person subject himself to such hardships in Christian service or in Christian ministry? Because the Apostle Paul tells us in that very text so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest or that the life of Jesus may be seen in our bodies, in our lives. 
we do these things and we uh, put up with these things and we subject ourselves to these things for the sake of Jesus Christ himself so that the life of Christ may also be made known or manifest in our mortal flesh. Paul was basically saying that oftentimes our Lord is seen in a greater light through our afflictions than he is seen in our affirmations. My mother was a great Christian woman, and I've spoken of her often in our fellowship. She was a great Christian woman. She was always serving the Lord. She was always ministering as best she could whenever the Lord gave her opportunity. But in the last few years of her life, when she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And at that time, ovarian cancer was pretty much terminal. In the last few years of her life, as she was taking chemotherapy treatments and as she was sick and as she was going back and forth to hospitals and this, that, and the other, my mother always spoke well of the Lord. And in my mind, she was a greater witness to doctors and to nurses and to technicians and to people in the hospital in general than I'd ever seen her before when she was healthy and whole. And she was a very devout Christian and a solid Christian witness when she was healthy and whole. Oftentimes, dear friends... The power, the grace, the mercy, the love of the Lord Jesus Christ is seen in a greater way through our afflictions than he is seen when everything is going hunky-dory. You see, it's easy to be happy and to rejoice in the Lord when there's cause for celebration, when we're successful when the road is smooth beneath our feet and the wind is at our back. But Paul reminds us to rejoice in the Lord always, even in adversity, when the harvest of souls is scant, when people, even church people, rise up against us. Why? How? Because he said, blessed Be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction. So we need to remember, first of all, that God is the Father of mercies. Now the word for mercy here is often translated in the English Bible as pity. But that's not the meaning that Paul gives the word here. You see, pity can mean sympathetic or kindly sorrow motivated by the sufferings, distress, or misfortunes of another. God does not pity us according to that definition. The word here means compassion. And compassion means to love and to act on behalf of the one who's loved. 
God is compassionate toward us, empathetic or lovingly identifying with us. And in that loving identification, he leads us by getting involved with us. He interacts with us. The writer of the book of Hebrews tells us in chapter 4, verses 4, 14 through 16, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus knows our every weakness. Jesus knows our trials and temptations. Jesus has walked the pathways of this human life, just like you and I walk the pathways of this human life. He was subject to all of the things that you and I are subject to. He did not yield to the sin. He did not yield to the temptation, but he became very well acquainted with our sorrows, with our sufferings, with our trials. He knows our frame And he is able to empathize with us. So remember that God is the Father of mercies. But also remember that he is the God of comfort. And that's what the Apostle Paul says here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. The word comfort here is the same word that is used to identify the Holy Spirit. Paraclesios is the word comfort. Paraclete is the word that describes the Holy Spirit. And both words mean to come alongside. And the idea of coming alongside another individual, is to help them, to encourage them, to support them. The Holy Spirit was sent by God upon the promise of the Lord Jesus Christ to come alongside us, to lead us into all truth, to speak through us the word of the Lord Jesus Christ, to enable us to be a powerful and effective witness For the Lord Jesus, to give us spiritual power and ability to serve Jesus Christ and to minister to others the spiritual gifts that are given to us by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was sent from heaven to come alongside God's people in the face of of troubles and of difficulties, we have a tendency of forgetting this. We have a tendency of forgetting that the sovereign God of the universe is with us. We tend to forget that the creator and the sustainer of all that is holy and righteous and good never leaves and never forsakes us. 
we tend to forget that the one true and living God comes alongside us today and all of our tomorrows, even forever. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, the Apostle Paul wrote, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort. Eternal comfort. Come alongside us forever. And good hope by grace. Comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. So this is the first reason, the first great truth why we should bless God. But there's a second great truth also in verse 4 that we need to note this morning as well. And the second reason why we should rejoice in the Lord and bless his name is that we can be of comfort to others. We can come alongside other people in the time of trouble. We can do that because he's come alongside us in times of trouble. And we can speak well of his name to others because he's come alongside us and helped us in our time of need. Look at verse 4 again. To comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And this is a ministry that is often forgotten in our Christian discipleship. Sometimes Christians can become sour and spiritually stink because they stop being sanctified and they no longer serve the Lord Jesus Christ by ministering to other people. You've heard the adage with regard to helping a hungry person. It is better to teach a man to fish than to give a man a fish. Well, I want to say to us this morning, it's better to come alongside a person to help him in his need than to stand back and criticize him in his need. And yet many people, and sometimes Christian people, will do that. They will stand back and they will criticize or they will pity the person who is in need, but they will not comfort the person who is in need. They will not come alongside to help that person. Many of us forget that God allows us to go through trials and heartaches and hardships and temptations so that when he leads us successfully through these things, when we become victorious over these things, we can come alongside others and teach them how to overcome such trials and temptations and heartaches in their own lives. Our trials and our hardships and heartaches teach us how to help others as God has helped us. They teach us to serve Jesus Christ by ministering to others who are in need of that same compassion and comfort that we received from Him when we were between a rock and a hard place. 
He comes alongside us to walk with us in our trials and temptations so that we, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can walk alongside others and minister to them so that we can be the image of Jesus Christ to every soul that he allows to cross our heart, our mind, and our path. God is our compassionate Father who is merciful to us so that we will be merciful to others. He comes alongside us in times of distress, in times of trial, in times of need to help us so that we can come alongside others in their times of distress and need to help them. So in conclusion, listen to these words of the Apostle Paul again as I kind of put a more modern spin on his words. He writes, I will speak well of the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father who is compassionate and the God who comes alongside who comes alongside to help us in all our troubles so that we will be able to come alongside and help those who are in trouble just as God comes alongside us. That's really what the Apostle Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 and 4. This, my friends, is a great time and affords us a great opportunity to put these truths into practice in our own lives and in our own ministries. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you have made us mindful of your presence with us during these days of trial and trouble. Father, thank you for those who continue to reach out to encourage brothers and sisters in the Lord, members of our fellowship as well as members of other fellowships. They might be a source of inspiration, that they might be a source of help in a time of need. Thank you for those who have encouraged Nancy and myself and our children and grandchildren. Thank you for those who continue to pray for us, to support us, to encourage us, and to make themselves available to us as we are struggling in this pandemic like everyone else is struggling in this pandemic. And thank you, Father, that you have not caused us to lose hope. You have not caused us, Father, to turn to despair or to become depressed over the situations that we find ourselves in day after day and week after week as this pandemic runs its course. Thank you, Father, that you continue to speak to us and you continue to open our eyes to new truths each and every day. You show us, Father, the many ways in which you are caring for us. And we thank you for that. Now, Lord God, I pray that you will bless my brothers and sisters. 
here in this fellowship as well as brothers and sisters throughout the state and all across the country and world. Father, we will be mindful of these words of the Apostle Paul. That, Lord God, we will not focus on all that we're having to suffer and all that we're going through. But, Lord, we will lift up our eyes and see how you are sustaining us and then reach out to other people to encourage them to lean heavily upon your strong and mighty arm as you continue to sustain them as well. I pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. I pray you'll have a good day in the Lord and a good week in the Lord as well. God bless you. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.